says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. It's a live reaction podcast, but we're not live from Jack's Bar and Grill. But as always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me from the comforts of his home studio is my good mate, 60s, after a big win against the Canterbury Bulldogs. How you doing, mate? Mate, what a day we've had. We started the day out at the players' reunion, grabbing a chat with a few players. You grabbed a few photos and we end the day... Um, thanks to the, the our, our kind hosts, Parramatta Leagues Club today had us over in their uh, corporate suite, uh, able to watch the, the game there uh, with uh, some nice comforts and enjoyed the win. Uh, great day. Yeah, Just a on, great. A, on a day where ignoring our wonderful, well, we didn't get to eat, but we were part of the luncheon with the Blue and Gold Alliance. But outside of that, on a day where not much else went right for the Parramatta Eels across four games, or three games rather, the, thankfully, the fourth and final game, the most important one, did go Parramatta's way. And let's start with that 60s. We'll, we'll dive into the other games that we also saw and brief after. But Parramatta Eels, 42 over the Canterbury Bulldogs, 6. Uh, almost a complete reversal. Well, beyond a complete reversal of the round 14 result. So thankfully, the Eels do manage to square the uh, season series there at 1-1. For the Dogs, it was Aaron Shop scoring their lone try in the 28th minute for the Eels. Eight different is it eight different try scorers. No, we got a, we got a double there for Dylan Brown and Wonga Blake. So eight try scorers started all all off with Will Penasini in the tenth minute, followed by Wonga Blake and Micah Sivo. Ryan Madison started the scoring in the second half for the Eels, followed by Tom Opacic, a double to Dylan Brown, and then Wonga Blake rounding out his day with a brace of tries in the seventy eighth minute. Mitch Moses was five from eight from the tee, but two of those struck uh, one side of each of the posts. So the poor man was very unlucky not be seven from eight at the very least. And then uh, the Canterbury Bulldogs also added a penalty on the fifth-minute care of Matt Burton, which was a bit contentious because we thought it was a scrum differential penalty, which you're not allowed to take a shot at goal, but Ashley Klein was adamant that it wasn't a differential penalty. I think something about Sean Lane breaking early, which I thought was part of the differential penalties. But anyway, uh, moving on to the team stats, 60s. Uh, Parramatta Eels, as you'd imagine, with that sort of scoreline, dominating the possession stakes, 54 to 46%. Likewise, time possession, about plus three minutes in Parramatta's favour. Uh, completing at a 77, 76% click on the uh, possession there, 30 or 39 sets, Canterbury down at 66%. Uh, then the Eels, once again, as you'd imagine, given the scoreline, ahead on all key attacking stats, more runs, more run meters, more post-contact meters, all by considerable margins. 10 line breaks to 4, 32 tackle breaks to 15, average set distance up at plus 5.5 meters over the Bulldogs. Um, somehow, a True to you know the Parramatta Eels, slower play the ball speed than their opponents, but only marginally in this case, 3.91 seconds to 3.87, and going down to probably the next most important thing, defensive rates here. Uh, Parramatta's tackle efficiency, not the greatest, which is, I suppose, a bit surprising because I thought we defended pretty well in this game, but once again, the numbers don't always tell the full story. 86.42 effective tackle rate for the Eels compared to the Dogs, 85.33%. Uh, 15 missed tackles, 29 ineffective for the Eels. So just on the whole, 44 missed or ineffective tackles. So probably in you know what you consider a ballpark solid rate. Obviously, if you can get underneath 40, it's always going to be a good day defensively. In terms, I think the, the feature there was the slide. Yeah, scramble. communication and slide. Yep, 100%. And we'll, we'll talk about that later. But uh, then we go on to errors and negative plays. 
15 errors for Parramatta, which does compute because we did uh, we, we did botch a few opportunities throughout the game. We conceded five penalties to Canterbury's four. Uh, we gave away one ruck infringement while the Bulldogs gave away two inside tens. And then we used our full suite of interchanges in terms of individual stats, 60s. Um, quite a few players hitting triple digits on the run meters. Sevo, uh, Opachik, Dylan Brown, uh, Reg, Sean Lane, again topping the charts of the run meters. Ice over 150. Maddo 120 off the bench, Oggy 115, Murata, who actually started this game but uh, is still listed on the bench on com. he had 100 metres. So a whole ton of offensive contributors in terms of the tackle breaks. Good day for Tom Opacic, which no surprises, he had seven tackle breaks. Uh, it looked like that out there, didn't he? He had spiders on him. Yeah, what probably the most impressive attacking performance from Tom Opacic that we've seen uh, from from him wearing the blue and gold. And then in terms of our playmakers, Gufferson, Brown and Moses all adding two try assists to their season tallies and two line break assists. So a good day for the playmakers. And surprisingly, one other player joined him with the, the double-double there. Sixties, can you guess who it is just off the top of your head? Uh, not off the top of my head, mate. Yeah, Will Penasini. Two line break assists, two try assists and a line break. So he was quite productive down that right edge. Yeah, uh, it, look, the other the other thing that jumps out at me too was that uh, Dylan Brown, no missed tackles. Mitchell Moses, no missed tackles. Not bad for a dude coming back from a broken finger. Yeah, yeah. Now, obviously the, the Eels weren't making as many tackles as, as what the Bulldogs were in the match. Um, and I think, would you say that that... Uh, contributes to the the higher uh, the lower tackle efficiency because if you've got uh, missed tackles from a I guess from a lower base number. Oh yeah, exactly. The, That's a bigger discrepancy on the efficiency. Absolutely. So yeah, and, yeah, yeah. They're the sort of things that tend to normalise at higher rates. It's the whole base of statistics. So yeah, I mean, it's not an, an awful and egregious tackling rate by any means. It's just that you know, given how well our structures held up in this game, because in the second half we were turning over plenty of ball in our own half allowing the dogs to sort of tee off on us on our goal line. And we held up quite resolutely, which I was quite encouraged by. But yeah, the, the numbers sort of don't point towards how stern our defense was at times. And I, I thought we were quite good. It was certainly a market improvement from last week. You know, it's interesting because the, you can practice your defense at training, but nothing gives you uh, as good a workout in terms of um, you know what you want to see from the players as a as a match does and so those repeat possessions where there was the scramble in that 20 meter zone is well you're not going to you're not going to be able to replicate what they had to do out there on the field at a training session so I, I guess from BA's perspective he would have been happy to have that period of time defending their line and uh, not letting any tries uh, get across and, and seeing, as you said, the communication and the slide uh, work so well as it did today. And yes, we will acknowledge that, uh, you know, Canterbury has is, is not had the greatest year, but for us to reverse what was an awful performance against them uh, first time up against them this year with that win today. You've got to walk away from that happy. You've got to walk away from it happy with only uh, conceding six points today. Um, 26,000 people there. Um, Yeah, good day. Just a good day. To tack on to what you're saying, you know, 
certainly I'm not going to suggest that we're going to shut out South Sydney with the defence that we had today. But if you brought that energy and communication to last week, you've got to think you save a trial to it at the very minimum. So good to see the Eels bounce back. And, you know, as, as much as we talk about how the Eels have been inconsistent, if there's one thing you could count on this year being consistent of is not dropping back-to-back games. And they kept that true with the big win over Canterbury, which lifts them up into fifth on the ladder because although results didn't go their way when it comes to pushing for the top four with uh, Melbourne and it looks like Cronulla are now going to get over the line given that Manly don't seem to be putting up much resistance as we record this game. Uh, the Eels, the, the silver line to that is that the Eels are now a full win clear of the Rabbitohs and Broncos. And if the Roosters win uh, tomorrow, I believe, they'll join the Rabbitohs and Broncos being a whole two points behind the Parramatta Eels. Yes. Yeah. Now it's, Look, I think it's going to be interesting times ahead for um, South Sydney as a result of the result, uh, uh, as, uh, you know, yeah, from how the, the fallout, the fallout from round 23. They lost to the Panthers. They've got to go take on the Red Hot Cowboys, followed by the Red Hot Roosters. So, no, other way around. Roosters first. I thought it was the other the way. Cowboy. I'm pretty sure, is, isn't it? The, haven't they got the, the opening... Um, no, they host the host the Cowboys next week, and then they uh, oh, okay. they take on the Roosters out at uh, the new stadium, Allianz. Ah, uh, so the oh the the opener for Allianz is the final round. Yeah. Oh wow, that, that's it adds a little bit <laughs> of gravitas funny. to that game, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, it's the it is possible for South to go from Latrell Mitchell. To, saying to <laughs> warning other sides to look over their shoulder, here we come to uh, potentially missing them missing out on the top eight. Uh, it's yeah, it, it's a crazy what one week, what a difference one week can make mm-hmm. for the momentum of a team like South because they do have a horror draw. And mind you, look, they could come out and win both of those games and and go into the finals with uh, still reasonable momentum, but. Um, that was not a game they wanted to lose the other night against the, an understrength Panthers team. And, and just on that, uh, watching how they performed, they stripped Penrith for numbers that much the same way as yeah. they did they're, they're against the best team out wide. Yeah, playing right to left, they're so good at stripping for numbers. Yeah, but the big difference being that Penrith continued to um, go at them all night. They yes. wouldn't go away. Uh, they competed, something that uh, unfortunately we didn't do the week before. And it just showed that if if you're prepared to keep yourself in the contest against a team like South Sydney... The opportunities that, will come. Yep, that they get frustrated, that they mm-hmm. make mistakes, and opportunities will come. Uh, it, it's just something that we haven't done well enough against South Sydney uh, over many years. Just get in the contest. And, um, and, and you could see the difference today like right from the opening from the whistle. Opening whistle from the opening whistle, from the opening set, yep. The prop forwards carded the ball up with some authority. Both back rowers were outstanding. We saw B.A. pull a little switcheroo with Murata Niakore starting over Ryan Madison, which is something we've spoken about insofar as, you know, a lot of Maddo's best football came as the primary lock forward, but playing from the interchange. Murata came on, brought a bit of fire. He played with physicality, and lo and behold... You know, you throw in Mitchell Moses coming back as the, the big signal caller for the Eels, and he obviously had an outstanding game uh, you know, in the context of coming back from a broken finger especially. But, you know, the physicality through the middle set that tone. Yeah, so what do you think BA is going to be happiest about today? Obviously, the 
the points against has to hundred percent. The yeah, the absolute the, the goal line stands in the second half. As much as he'll you know be uh, lashing out at him for making the mistakes, you know in particular like look at Wonga's offload when he was getting driven back. That was just ill-advised. And uh, I'm not sure if the camera's caught on the broadcast. Who, you, who would you say advised him to do oh, that? My goodness. I, uh, I guarantee you wouldn't have been one of the no. one of the coaches or any of his teammates no. out there. My goodness, that, that was a yeah, definitely a bit of a, a brain snap for Wanger. And I don't know if the broadcast camera's caught it, but I'm pretty sure after we completed that big goal, Wayne stand to hold the dogs out in the wake of that error, he uh, put his hand up and signaled to the boys, "Thanks," saying, "Yeah, that that one's on me. I'm sorry." So yeah, you know, I mean. The defense, absolutely. That's a big part of it. Canterbury, you know, they, they fired some shots. They weren't awful on offense today. But Eels just had great communication and scrambling and were more than a match for what the dogs were throwing at them. And I suppose the other thing that, you know, it's easy to take it for granted, but Mitchell Moses comes back in and immediately just the synergy of Dylan Brown. You know, they were kicking for each other, causing all sorts of havoc, playing some... And this is something that, you know, funnily enough, Brett Kenny was speaking to us about last Instant Reaction podcast some heads-up football. You know, they, they took, yeah. took advantage of the dogs being out of position in certain places of the field and maximised on it. Yeah, it, it would have been interesting to get Brett's take this week because <laughs> he was very critical about uh, the range of uh, – that we didn't really have a, a great deal of options about what we uh, were prepared to offer from our kicking game when we were on the attack last week. And then we saw today just the – uh, well, I won't say the complete opposite, but we, we certainly saw some innovative plays around the kicks when we were attacking. Yeah, and we saw forwards getting in behind the ruck with interchange of passes. Uh, what was that? It was Bryce, it was Bryce Cartwright and Isaiah Papali'i both sort of having success at that in the first half. And that probably leads me to one of the negatives this game is that even though we scored 42 points, there was easily three or four tries left on the field in this game, which in a way is, is I wouldn't call it a positive but it's a constructive point coming out of this game because, you know, you do the review and the, the boys cannot say in any way that they played a complete game. As well as they played, there were plenty of areas where they let themselves down in attack. Now, where do you think their headspace is going to be oh after I, a match I, like that? I mean, surely <laughs> they're not going to be – surely, surely they're not going to be um, satisfied and, and and sit back on their laurels going up to, up to Brisbane because – there's depending how results go. I mean, it's not it's not an impossibility for them to make the top four. It's they uh, as a result of last week, and we can say as a result of other res- uh, other matches that they didn't perform as well in as they should have throughout the season. Uh, they're fate isn't in their own hands in terms of uh, being able to have a top four finish, but it is still possible depending on other results. Uh, for example, uh, it were the storm to, uh, to drop a game before Parramatta takes them on the roosters. Uh, next, yeah, against the, uh, against the roosters, then you're looking at, um, and you know, it's not outside the realms of possibility, is it for Absolutely the not. storm to drop a game against the roosters. So, if they were to drop that game, and Parramatta gets the game against uh, gets a win over Brisbane, then the final round is basically a top four spot up for grabs. So, you know, there, there's. I mean, we we've said this many times before. 
uh, during the season. Like, you know, this game is a big game. They should be up for it. should be coming out breathing fire. <laughs> it doesn't always work out that way. But we saw today right from the opening whistle that their, their heads were in the game. They were switched on, ready to play in it. And, of course, it, it, it played out that way. Uh, both on the scoreboard and in the in the manner of their win over the Bulldogs. And we've seen far too often this season that when we were coming up against an opponent that we're expected to win comfortably against, we've struggled to do so. We've lost games against opponents that we were the where we were the odds on favourites. So yeah, just great to see that they they finally were able to um, get the points when they needed to uh, and when they should. Now, I did say in our preview podcast that even if it was a big win, that I was still more interested in the matter uh, in the manner of the win. Like I wanted to see us battle through the game. Like that the the win comes as a result of us really being in the contest. And that was re- that was uh, pretty much the case today. Uh, my apologies because uh, one of the pe- uh, birds has decided that now's a good time to have a bit of a whistle in the background. <laughs> so, so anyone listening and wondering what what's that uh, what's that going on? Uh, you've got a couple of pet cockatiels who uh, about the only thing they can do is whistle, and they sounds like they're going to go through their repertoire at the moment. And, you know, you said that, that you had those expectations for the Parramatta's coming to this game or, or a set of challenges, if anything. And likewise for me, I think I said that I wanted to see them go and make an example of the Bulldogs and play with an attitude and put on a score. And I think I said 40 to 10 was where my benchmark lied. And they, they hit that 42 to 6, they exceeded that. So it, it was very good to see the Eels bounce back in the manner they did. It certainly wasn't a flawless performance, but it was a markedly improved performance. It was a performance of you know what a team that wants to contend for the final should do in an you know isolated game. You know the question is, can they do it for the next two games and then obviously into the actual postseason itself? Well, just I suppose if we if we're to look at this game specifically rather than um, looking too far ahead, apart from the defence, mate, what? Was there anything from either the team or from individuals which pleased you the most? I mean, across the back line, I was pretty happy. Tom Opachik was outstanding. I thought Mike Acevo was very good for the most part as well. He Matt Burton went after him with the, the high kicks, but he handled all of them, if I'm not mistaken, uh, without any issue. And on top of that, I loved the attitude that he showed in defense when he just cattle-dogged his opposite over the uh, sideline, which would have been... Was it Kiraz? He was lined up against Kiraz, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. He absolutely cattle dogged him, and then almost out of character, he got up and and gave him the big walkover. And I'm not against that. I don't mind a bit of attitude like that. So it was good to see that. Um, on the other side of the field, I thought Will Penasini was the quiet achiever in this game. Like I said, two line breaks, two line break assists. Sorry, two line break assists, two try assists, and a line break of his own. Um, you know, probably not the flashiest game. You're trying to figure the individual highlights, but just did a really good job there. Uh, Dylan was a bit rocks at times. There was one really bad drop reminiscent of that possession against South Sydney uh, early in the game, which also then sort of was, uh, I wouldn't say compounded, but in the second half we uh, saw the forward, no, second half, it was the first half we saw the forward uh, forward pass. And, you know, that was a bit loose from him. But then on the flip side, you got plenty of diamonds from him there as we saw some sparkling play between he and Mitchell Moses. And then we already talked about the forwards, that all, all the starting forwards at least, they were all outstanding. 
And I think, you know, once again, probably you're going to get slept on by a lot of fans. But I thought that the interchange brought some juice again this week. Bryce Cartwright, Oregon Kafusi, and I suppose Ryan Madison, given that he, he was coming off there as well. But partic- Madison is a known quantity. We, we, we count on him for big performances. So that's, you know, less of a, a talking point for me. The fact that Cartwright and Oggy, two weeks in a row now, are starting to, you know, make a bit of a difference off the bench is important. So I want to give those two a shout out. Yeah, I'm I'm seeing a few adjustments that are happening to the stats literally as we're talking because um, Cartwright only played 18 minutes. They did have him originally down for uh, 20 minutes. But um, in his 18 minutes, he had 85 run metres, which was um, which was quite... Uh, you, you could see that impact that he um, that he had there with the um, his time out there on the field. So yeah, good to see him getting a few more minutes, not a huge amount of minutes, but a few more minutes, and and not not those rubbish minutes right at the end of the game. And uh, yeah, if he's building up a little bit of confidence in his form coming into the back end of the season, he, he's. He could be a valuable commodity for the Eels to have out out there on the bench. Um, Oregon has probably had um, a very consistent season, very consistent season. And um, I, I think he, he's, you know, he maybe went even a, a, a step beyond just consistent today. I thought his carries were, were really, really good. And we've already uh, mentioned about... Um, you know, Madison coming on and, and playing those long minutes after, uh, you know, being brought off the bench instead of starting. And, um, you know, 121 uh, run metres was a good was good output from him. Um, you know, I, I'm still looking at what Sean Lane is producing on a weekly basis. I think the only criticism we have about Sean Lane right now is that we want him as the tallest person on the Parramatta outfit to get up there and contest those short drop kicks because everything else he's doing is spectacular. You know, yeah, if if we were to have one minor criticism about about the Eels today is that when it comes to uh, short kickoffs, short dropouts, that sort of thing, whether we're in the act of receiving the the dropout or whether we are putting up a, a, a short dropout ourselves, we're aiming for Sean Lane. And he's getting himself into position, but I don't know whether it's that he's not quite timing the run, or but there's something that's stopping him from truly contesting the football in and those this circumstances. Is coming, this is coming with Quentin Gufferson having absolutely mastered the short dropout. He is hitting them on a dime, ten and a half meters every time. So you know, yeah. kudos to Guffo. He seems to have really sharpened that tool in his repertoire and made it a, a consistent repeatable kick which is a you know a big nod to you know being able to compete for those those restarts but the question for the eels is now can we consistently compete for that ball that's going to be there ten and a half meters out from our goal line it seems a bit rough doesn't it that we're we're finding a criticism towards Sean Lane after his consistent oh but like, of- like I said if you had to nitpick because his general play stuff is phenomenal I know NRL.com's got him down for four missed tackles off uh, off of his 28 attempts I think it is uh, yeah, 24 tackles, so that would have been 28 attempts there for the four missed. Uh, but I, I, I was actually watching him in the late game, and you know when you can tell Sean Lane's that there's just like a bad missed tackle coming because he looks a bit sloppy or lethargic or gassed? 
and he I didn't see it. He looked sharp in the second half, and I, I don't know if it was if they've deliberately tried to build his conditioning up by working him through that tough period that he had where he was struggling, uh, but he looked like in control in the second half, which is very positive. And I, I'm trying to think where his uh, missed tackles occurred because I, wherever they happened, they didn't. I don't know that they led to too much. I I can remember one where he's he's gone in for a tackle close to the middle of the field. And he might have fallen off the tackle, but there were others there who who got the uh, got the job done almost straight away. Um, but uh, yeah, just the yeah, he's doing some tough carries, mate. Oh like, yeah, it, and the, the post contact. He's not just being used. He's not just being used like in the at that attacking end of the field. He's sometimes his carries where he gets some of his best post-contact metres is in those ugly metres down, you know, trying to get the ball out from out. And he just pumps those legs and just drags defenders with him and once again leads the team in PCM ahead of his Ipapali, 79-74 metres after contact. Yeah, yeah. And and speaking of, uh, of ice, I thought he had... Uh, a really strong game today. Each of his carries, he was asking uh, questions of the defence. He was just um, an absolute machine out yeah, there. Yeah, NRL.com has him down for just four tackle breaks, which is not an insignificant sum, but also probably not correctly reflective of how dominant he was physically. Canterbury defenders were bouncing off him with regularity, struggling to bring him down. He was free- freeing his arms up, getting in behind the ruck, causing all sorts of damage. So very good. I mean, not like he, he you know, has gone anywhere, but it was just good to see Ice in full flight. Obviously, that connection with Mitchell Moses is as strong as ever, despite a couple of weeks layoff for the number seven. So, yeah, plenty of positive signs across the starters, some real encouraging signs off the bench. We got to see a bit more of uh, Offiki Ogden this week. He went five runs for 50 metres and then a handful of tackles, seven tackles, zero missed, zero ineffective. So, you know, starting to build him into a role in first grade as well. Um, yeah, and this is a game where, in an isolated, you know, review, you can't help but be largely chuffed. This is this is a good Parramatta game. This was a physical Parramatta game. You know, it's not without any sort of criticism because when they do the tape, they're going to see the tries that they left on the field. They're going to see some, you know, defensive blunders, letting Josh out of car uh, get outside, um, sort of turn the corner on the sideline in the first half, despite having a good kick chase. He just, you know, managed to fend his way through. There was, you know, a few little things here and there. It happens. You know, Dylan Brown was, fra- uh, you know, a step offside. Otherwise, he would have had a hattie. You know, so all those little things, they'll catch on review. The question for the Eels, like I said, in a macro sense is, we know what their best is. This wasn't even close to their best in regards to the 2022 season, which is, you know, is impressive insofar as how high the highs have been this year. The question is now, with you know, 160 minutes left to play when it comes to the regulation season, how much do they want to seriously charge into the finals? And that's what we're going to find out. You know, it's, it's interesting breaking it down like that to that, 160 minutes left in the regular season. I wonder whether that's going to be something that's going to be rammed home to them. Look, uh, we're we're getting to the last minutes that some of you blokes are going to be able to have playing in the same team. And how long you want that to go on for is entirely up to you. You know, mm-hmm. if you, if you, the longer you want it to to go, let let's let's see you show that out there on the field. Let's let's go deep into the final series because 
uh, today pretty much guaranteed that the Eels are going to be in the final series. There was, you know, there, there were worst case scenarios being uh, looked at uh, coming into the uh, into these last three rounds. If um, you know, if the Eels had lost their their final three games, they could potentially have missed the finals. They've won today. I'm I'm much happier being in Parramatta's uh, situation than I am if I was a uh, a South supporter coming into their last two games, two points behind where Parramatta is on the table. And as we spoke about before, they've got the Cowboys, they've got the Roosters. And, uh, yeah, they've got uh, the Raiders with a, a real easy draw, a real easy draw, the, probably the cushiest draw that is in the competition this year, um, breathing down their neck. Are they looking over their shoulder at what's coming up? So, um I, I get. I know we've. T- I spoke about it before, but um, you know, uh, we like seeing characters in the game. As Latrell Mitchell is certainly that. But you know, do you want to go boasting about what, what's happening before um, before you've actually achieved anything yet? So um, yeah, interesting times for them. Uh, now, speaking of times, is it time for our three, two, one, mate? Yeah, I think it's a good way to put the ribbon on this game. On a big win for the Parramatta Eels, for, was it plus 36 on the differential, which probably is a moot point for the Eels because if they're going to make the top four, it's going to be on outright competition points. But it is nice to, you know, play some tackle on 12 differential. Yep. So is it clear cut for you who the, um, I, the player I, I of the match know, is? I don't know if it's clear cut because this was just a game where a lot of guys made some really nice contributions across the park. Uh, maybe it's... I wouldn't call it rose-tinted glasses, but maybe it's a recency bias. Um, you know, Jake Arthur has done a, a really wonderful job working in relief, but having Mitchell Moses come back in shows you just how important it is having a top flight. You know, not not just a, a good young kid in the role, but a top flight halfback and signal caller in this competition. And you know, he tormented the dogs today. They really struggled to contain him. Uh, some of the subtlety of his game was beautiful. The short balls to Maradani Aquaria when he was working on the right edge with Ice getting the early mark in this game. And the other one that really stood out to me, aside from the, the lovely little kicks, the interchange of kicks with Dylan Brown, which I was very Melbourne Storm-esque in a, in a good way. I love seeing that. But if you cast your eyes back or mind back to the first Wunga Blake try, um, I, I was, you know, go, go right, go right, yelling in the box there. And, you know, Mitch goes right. And then the subtlety of his pass there, he holds up the ball, throws a beautifully... Like, disguised short ball dummy to ice and then plays the long ball to would have been Will Penasini to create the two on one on the wing. You know, the, that is just masterful halfback play and the Eels really, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, something stupid, but when he's playing good football, they're just, they're at their best. Yeah. So if we're talking about the difference maker, my three points was going to Mitch Moses as well. Um, I'm imagining that's what your yeah. your three yeah going and, to, know, and even yeah. the goal kicking. You know, he come, comes back ices from the sidelines, and two of his misses. You know, you got to wonder how many um, layers of varnish they put on the posts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the two points, mate. I think it starts to get a, maybe a little bit tougher. Yeah, here. it gets a little bit more muddied here because there are plenty of worthy contenders. You know, we already gave Sean Lane a big shout out. He's right in the thick of it. Uh, Dylan Brown, a couple of errors probably marred the game ever so slightly. He was very good as well. Um, Reg set the tone for the Eels from the opening hit-ups. Ice, outstanding. You know, geez, take your pick. You know, uh, actually, I've got another player that I think probably is worthy of it too. And 
I'll go a bit off the beaten track here. I think uh, Tom Opacic or Tom Opacic was sensational today, and you yeah. know, seven tackle breaks, scored a great—I wouldn't call it a solo try, but a great try down the left edge. Defended really strongly, worked out a dummy half really well too. He was you know shedding tackles and causing grief for the markers, and you know that made a big difference for the Eels. Yeah, mate, we're uh, in unison today because. Uh, Tom Opacic is my two points. Uh, not only outstanding in attack, but eighteen tackles, zero missed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's and a, he's I a, don't think you could expect any anything more from an outside back. He's today. a real pros pro, isn't he? Just you know, he, he hasn't been able to lock down a spot in Parramatta's backline during his tenure here because of the talent that's been available for the Parramatta Reels. And yet, whenever he's come in, he's just been Mister Reliable. And this was a game where he certainly went well and above. That Mr. Reliable tag, he showed some real dynamic play. Yeah, the the try that he scored, uh, I have to admit, it, it almost caught me by surprise because it, it just seemed to be that he accelerated at just the right time and as soon as the uh, Bulldogs players were tracking backwards in defence, waiting for him to uh, pass the ball, he just... That was when he accelerated, and you just you could see that there was no way he was going to be stopped. From the moment he he the closer he got to the line, and I mean it sounds obvious, but it, it just looked like well, he, he just seemed to have I don't know almost like an extra yard or yeah, two. Yeah, it, it, it is amazing had. what decisiveness can do when you just you know commit to your decision, whether it's right or wrong, or not necessarily right or wrong, but whether it's the best option or just a good option if you just wholeheartedly commit, and that's what he did in that run, you will make opportunities get converted into full-blown points. Yeah, and, and I think you've nailed it there, the the value of decisiveness, because mm-hmm. he, he'd obviously was, I mean, for a start, yes, he was playing what was in front of him, but as soon as that opportunity presented with the players backtracking, backpedalling, then he's just put the foot to the floor and he's like, this is... This is where I'm going. I am going to score here. So um, he he gets my two as well. Now, the, <laughs> gets interesting. We're going to go three for three here for the uh, with our our three two ones. Uh, it's, it's tough, you know. Like I said, Dylan, a couple of errors, but some gorgeous tries. That pass he threw for Mike Acevo on the fly, one step into it, just a pinpoint perfect cutout pass was spectacular. Champagne Rugby League. Um, but I, I think coming back to what we're talking about out of the South Sydney game, you know, and, and what Brad Arthur really circled in his post game presser too, you know, if we're talking about what the Parramatta's need to do, it's about being physical in the ruck, which means I've got to give my points to someone that helped tip the scales in that regard, which means it's guys like Sean Lane, guys like Azai Papali, and maybe uh, Reagan Campbell Gillard. So whew, maybe uh, maybe it's ice. He just so rugged, you know, huge work rate, high impact, uh, really sets a tone on that right edge. And the fact that he was getting in behind the ruck today caused all sorts of new issues for the Canterbury defence. Uh, mate, yeah, I, I can't possibly agree with you on, on three players. I, I'm just, just out of principle, I've got to offer something different. Got to be a point of contention, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, I, I mean, I do agree about the... A performance of ice today. Um, it just it'd be extremely easy for me 
to give that one point to him as well. I'm going to give it to Sean Lane. Yeah, fair. Uh, Oh, yeah, I, I can't I can't ignore what he's producing for Parramatta out there on a consistent basis. Um, look, I, there were other contributors that I I I thought uh, had uh, really good games. Uh, obviously, Dylan, but I, those couple of errors that Dylan made, um, you know, you'd like to see that completely out of his game because he he did start things quite. Uh, poorly against South with the dropped ball that he had, and it was almost replicated today with um, with the dropped pass that he he, he had early in the game uh, against the Dogs. Um, you know that said, you know he then, you know the the, the tries that he scored, um, the way his hairs back in defence when there's a, the the chance of the break. He he had a try save almost. Almost the same as what happened against uh, Manly when there was a break that was made and he was the one chasing back in defence. This time he, he grounded the ball in the end goal. Um, yeah, so I thought he was really good. I, I was really, I really thought that Reg set a strong tone mm-hmm. early, and um, you know even even Murata, um could get a mention for the the tone that he set at the start of the game. Yeah, well, you know, obviously everyone was down against South Sydney outside of Lane and Guffo, but if you sort of put that one aside as an outlier, look back to the Manly game, Murata's starting to trend upwards. He started, I wouldn't, I'm not sure if you can call it peaking at the right time, but there's a bit of edge and physicality to his game that we've been so used to outside of the earlier parts of this year that, you know, that looked to be coming back. Yeah, and, you know, I think fair enough to say that he needed to. Yeah, well. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It was, um, you know, it was. This hadn't been. This had been a far from inspiring season from Murata. But if you want players that are your impact players, and he's certainly one that we described as an impact player, firing at the right end of the season, everything indicates that that's what he's heading towards. So, um, mate, that. That's. I think that's probably a, a good place to wrap up the NRL. We're going to uh, quickly mention yeah. uh, the other results today. Uh, the, yeah, the flag weren't playing at uh, at Combank Stadium, and so we uh, really can only go in in terms of the result. Disappointing result from them going down to the Bulldogs. Uh, Eighteen, yeah, wasn't up, it? Up six four at half time, courtesy of an Arthur Miller, Stephen Try. And obviously a Corey Fenning conversion. Fenning would go on to tack on four points of his own, failing to convert. Uh, but the Dogs, unfortunately, uh, running out the eight-point victors. I mean, the, the game was academic. We spoke about this in our preview. They weren't going to make the top five or top six. But, you know, in saying that, finish off the season, you know, winning a few straight would have been a fantastic way to cap off what's been a much better second half of the year. Yeah, it'd be much better, but you know, it's it's again, it's one of those seasons where they've had lots of changes into the team on a weekly basis. Uh, consequently, they've uh, they've had a, a lot of inconsistency in their yeah, performances, and uh, it, it seems like today against uh, the Bulldogs, who were only sitting, I think, from memory, one point above them on the table, was that yes, one point above them was a drawn game. That was split into two teams. Well, he was not having the draw on their on their scoreboard, so the same amount of wins. But Canterbury having that half a win 
advantage, which is now being converted, obviously, into a win and a half lead. So, yeah, disappointing yep. there. And speaking of disappointing, the team with the most to play when it uh, sort of comes to the top four and pushing up the ladder on today's uh, suite of games was the New South Wales Cup. And uh, Eels falling three points shy of the Canterbury Bulldogs. 3v5, Bulldogs 3 versus 5 coming into this game. They ran out victors 19 to 16. We were trying to keep track of this game 60s. It was on on my tablet and on the scre- on the muted screens up in Jack's Bar and Grill in the middle of the Blue and Gold Alliance luncheon. So we, we sort of caught glimpses of this and got most of the try highlights, but the flow of the game wasn't really something I was trying to keep track of. But for the uh, Eels, Hayes Perham started the scoring in the third minute, followed by Dan Keir in the 16th, which was offered Jacob Arthur intercept, I believe. Sean Russell got the Eels back in it in the death in the 75th minute, but it was too little too late. Jordan Rankin, two from three. For the uh, Bulldogs, Declan Casey, Matt Dury and Curtis Moran scored. Brandon Wakeham, two from three from the try conversions Also added an important penalty goal and a Bailey Biondi Odo field goal. And there was a bit of drama late in this game. I think it was about the 72nd minute. Yeah, 72nd minute. Wiramu Gregg is marched, sent off for a off-the-ball hit that was deemed to be not only late but uh, too violent in nature. I don't think he made much of an attempt to wrap the arms, if I'm going to be honest which saw him get the uh, marching orders. But Declan Casey, uh, the opening try scorer for the Dogs, he also got Simbin for retaliation uh, in that sequence of play. So it'll be interesting to see what sort of case Wirimu has to answer when it comes to the match review committee and then the judiciary if it does get a charge. But yeah, Well, that's the, his second send-off in about a month. Of yeah, where, whereas the, fir- the first one we're not really sure was warranted. I would like to get some credit. Well, there was, no yeah. was no case Answer, exactly, so. which is, is bizarre, uh, you know, given the nature of a send-off. Uh, but, yeah, the for the Eels, they do hold on provisionally. You know, they're, they're still going to be in fifth place uh, at the end of this week regardless. They have a big buffer over the chasing teams in the New South Wales Cup. But let me just see if the North City Bears have played this week. The Bears are playing one of the weaker teams in the competition tomorrow in the Magpies. This may, given that there's only one game left, if the Bears win it will all but uh, knock out their hopes of chasing the top four. So a Bears victory tomorrow lifts them to one and a half wins clear of the Eels, and with just one week left, unless there's some points penalties coming the way of the top four, the Parramatta Eels could not make the eight with a North Sydney victory over the Western Suburbs Magpies tomorrow. No, no. But um, it's it, it, they've again, they've had probably a couple of costly losses Absolutely. Uh, this season. And uh, but uh, look, I think for the most part they've been quite consistent in their form. So um, uh, yeah, you mentioned we we were trying to track that from the uh, reunion that we went to earlier today. Uh, but we were over at the ground for the NRLW season opener, and uh, I think it's fair to say that uh, Parramatta's defence needs a little bit of work. Yeah, uh, well, I, I wrote today. about this in the preview yesterday. Um, you know, we're taking on the reigning premiers, and in a, in a, it was a manic free agency free agency season where the likes of the Brisbane Broncos, who have been perennial powerhouses in this competition, they lost a number of key players. Uh, the Roosters certainly weren't, you know, immune to losing some players, but they kept the core of our premiership winning team. I think there was ten returning players from the seventeen that took out the title uh, last. Well, I was about to say last year, last season. It happened earlier this year, so. They are, for mine, the team to beat. And watching this game, it certainly looks like it. Uh, they got off to a hot start. Uh, it was three tries to nil. 
and only goalkeeping, goalkeeping, goalkicking, keeping the Parramatta Eels in the hunt early on. And they managed to reply over Shelley Malungi and Samama Taufa, a set of tries, which were both converted by Brooke Morgan Walker. Brooke Morgan Walker, sorry. Uh, and that, you know, leveled the, the playing field. And, you know, there were some very positive periods of play for the Eels throughout this game. But at the same time, you know, the, the Roosters were physical through the middle and even more so than that, on the edges, they just completely overpowered the Parramatta Eels 60s. In well, particular, Sergis. Yeah, Sergis. Sergis and uh, Isabel Kelly, uh, I believe, were the, the two big, uh, you know, damage inflictors when it came to both sides of the ruck. And, you know, one thing that sort of jumped out to me is that uh, the, the Roosters had a couple of interesting attacking structures, you know, causing overloads on a certain edge where they'll get Sergis or Kelly, you know, the left and right centre, and get them to pop up on the opposite side of the field, you know, as a second fullback. So they were able to inflict a lot of pain on the Eels that way. But, yeah, looking at the Eels team, 60s, a lot of work to be done on the edges, a bit of work to be done in the middle too, cleaning up the ruck with the line speed and first contact. But it certainly wasn't a game without any positives. Uh, I thought Gail Broughton looked very strong running the ball, and I want to see their team featuring her more with a bit of time and space to operate in. Uh, looking forwards to the halves, I thought young Lasana Lutu had a pretty handy game considering she looked like she was calm, composed, got a pretty reasonable kicking game on her, and she's a player that will, I think, as the season goes on, get better and better. And this was something that you actually, uh, when we're watching the game, you are saying to me that as as much as this, the starters struggled a bit defensively, you are pretty confident that the interchange forwards would help stimmy the flow a bit. And I thought that they did a pretty good job. Kennedy Charrington came on. And she's just a player that when she's on the field, you know, between the physicality, the niggle, the grit, things just start happening around her. And she certainly got under the skin of the roosters, caused an error or two, had some really strong carries. I thought she was good. And then Brooke Anderson and uh, Navanda George were both good. I didn't really notice Rima Butler in this game, but uh, I thought Anderson and George were pretty strong off the bench. And obviously the captain or co-captain, Samama Taufa, she was outstanding. Yeah, yeah. It's Look, it was a game that was... The team that uh, had all the possession really was the Roosters, and I mean, it's, maybe it's, it sounds again like a Captain Obvious statement because uh, the team that always the team that has that much possession should be winning. And well, fifty five percent possession, the forty five, nearly plus five minutes of time possession in a format where there's only sixty minutes of play time. So you know that they are telling stats, and that's not even talking about field position. The, the trouble was when they were scoring, they were scoring in bunches of tries. And during that period of time, the Eels just couldn't get their hands on the ball. And that was the that was the toughest thing during each of those periods where they went, you know, try, try, try. They did that one after the other early in the game. And then there was that period after the Eels pulled back to 1816 um, uh, from memory where they were just two points behind early in the second half. And then after that came a period of time where the Roosters had plenty of possession. Uh, they made the Eels pay for uh, repeat sets and and probably for allowing just a bit too much easy too many easy meters through the middle. And uh, yeah, Sergis and Kelly were just a dynamic out there in the centres. And uh, the Roosters are the reigning champions for a reason. All signs point to them having. A very strong season again this time round. Uh, how will the Eels go next week? Well, obviously they've got to. They, 
it's all very well to have players who can uh, be potentially strike players, but if your defence doesn't do the job, then you're going to be struggling. And uh, the Eels this week are going to really need to do a bit of work on uh, their defensive structures and, and also that commitment to the uh, the first-up contact. Absolutely. It just has to, it just has to be... Line speed, first-up contact. You know, the games are unironically won and lost with those things. Like they, they just set the tone for everything else. And while I thought the benches did a much better job there, I think as a team... And it's not just the ruck, the edges too. They all need to improve significantly on that. Thankfully, they've got another home game, their, their second but final home game. Next week, they're hosting the St. George Illawarra Dragons. So they're going to be taking them on on Sunday. So they've got a full week to prepare. And hopefully they can make those adjustments. Because there's no doubt, there's no doubting that there is some quality in this team. We saw some good football from them up against, you know, arguably the premier outfit in the Sydney Roosters. But by the same token, they've got some serious work to do across the next seven days. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, just before we go, again, another mention and um, uh, and thanks to all the players today at the uh, Blue and Gold Alliance uh, Players Reunion. Uh, we were able to, uh, you moved around, took a few photos. We grabbed a chat with a number of players, um, players that are obviously well-known to supporters, players that maybe aren't as well-known but had interesting stories that they were able to share. So we're thankful for each of those players. We grabbed a, a, a short chat with uh, with about half a dozen uh, people today and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think when we get that up as a special edition podcast, uh, people are going to um, like hearing some of the anecdotes and, and also just getting the, the, the takes of these players about what it was like being an eel. And, you know, a, a thing that came through to me was how so many of them were aspirational to be uh, wearing the blue and gold. Yeah, it was a, a wonderful event. And it comes on the back of what was we weren't able to get out there 60s, but from what we heard was an incredible day uh, of golf, uh, which became the Ted Solkovich uh, golf day, right? So they, they had a, a fantastic day out there. So the Blue and Gold Alliance is really starting to hit its straps and um, they're, they're certainly not, you know, peaked by any means. They're really keen to to grow this thing under the guidance of Bill Richards and the full committee there. So doing some wonderful things for the club, doing some wonderful things for the old boys, which is a point of contention. You know, the, we say old boys carefully there, uh, but, you know, the, the former greats and former players of the Blue and Gold and yeah, it, it was just so cool to see 150 former players, former staff members, you know, former clubmen just out there able to enjoy a nice meal and a beer together and just have a good day. Oh, mate, it, look, for us, it's moments like that are, are like a pinch yourself moment because we're just there witnessing the joy of some of these players um, seeing it on their faces as they catch up with blokes that maybe they haven't seen for a while mm -hmm. or, or or blokes that, you know, they they only get to catch up with every staff and they might see them, uh, might talk over the phone, but being able to catch up in person mightn't be as easy as they'd like. So, yeah, it was, it was just great to see that, to witness the camaraderie, the smiles, the laughs. It was a it was a noisy room. You'll probably hear that when it comes to the the podcast. <laughs> yeah, when we, we do apologise in advance if uh, some of the uh, audio is I wouldn't say muffled, but just you know the, there's so much background stuff happening. 
yeah, yeah. So um, we'll we'll apologise in advance for for some of the some of the background noise, but uh, please, when we do get that up there, have a listen because I think you're going to enjoy it. And uh, and of course, uh, we were able to speak to Mr. Raymond Price, the man for whom the uh, the Cumberland throw uh, took our our name with the, the the tackle that he made famous. So. Uh, we we finally got to have a few words with Pricey, and it, it's fair to say uh, Ray doesn't sit on the fence. With what do you mean? Opinion. He's a legendary fence sitter. He he, you know, <laughs> always minces his words. No, uh, Pricey, one of the the straightest shooters out there. Whether you agree with him or not, he is always a good fun to catch up with, and you know, just you can see why in the eighties the boys wanted to go to war with him. You know, he yeah. he really led the way there, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, look, a great day, mate. I, I'm still buzzing about the day. Um, you know, it would have been would have been the icing on the cake to have got every grade today, but uh, for the importance of today's win for the NRL team, we couldn't have asked for more. Um, great day with the legends, and um, yeah, uh, and I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. Yeah, and of course, win, lose, or draw, the content doesn't stop on the Cumberland Throw. Look forward to goals, grades. I imagine he's going to have a lot of fun banging these ones out after what happened last week. I'm going to try and get through my gin and logic tomorrow, looking at what went right, what went wrong, and where to for the NRLW. Then we'll get from the stands for Shelley, Colmax, Stats. And then, like you said, 60s, look forward to the special edition of the tip sheet as we uh, string together all the different bits and pieces we got out of the Blue and Gold Alliance luncheon. As always, yeah, just, was plenty, say. plenty coming up on uh, the Cumberland throw, and we're really getting to the the business end of the season. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, for the fourth year in a row, we're going to have our Eels playing finals football. Yeah, you know, as much as we gripe about it, it is good to be constantly in the hunt for the premiership. You know, regardless of the odds, and you know, we know this Eels team has it in them to play some great football. And then, like I said, the next 160 minutes will be telling. As always, thanks for stopping by, giving us a listen. Hope you appreciated the latest instalment of the tip sheet. We'll catch you in that special edition next up. But after that, recapping what I assume, given the way things are in the NRL 60s, be another manic week of NRL news by the time we get to it midweek. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to it.